Welcome to the Bureau of Complaint. Welcome to part two of our healthcare episode. The speakers are myself, Laura Jean Moore, Ty Pemberton, and Angie Horn. When the U.S. was founded, we even considered people commodities. Yeah. Like, we... Yeah. That's what slavery... That's what enslaved people, yeah. I was just in Hampton, Virginia. I was literally standing on the spot where the first African slave set foot on the North American continent. I took a picture of the marker because I was like, this is the founding of America. It's Mm -hmm. not the shot at Lexington and Concord. It's not, you know, the defeat at Yorktown. It's not the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. It's not the Civil War. It's when that slave first set foot in Hampton Roads, Virginia, Mm -hmm. is when that class of people who founded the United States, that's where their power was founded. Was in the um, commodification of humans. The commodification of humans. And that is and we are a, still living with the legacy of that. That is a, found, a founding principle <laughs> of the United States. And so it bothers me when people say that ca- being anti-capitalist and anti-American, see them as very different things. Um, well, absolutely. I think there's a conflation in the United States um, between economic systems and political systems. And I think that, so, too. And there's a belief that capitalism equals democracy. Yes. And that socialism equals communism. <laughs> <laughs> and Because it, we're all very good word knowers. Well, you can right. have, like, <laughs> <We> democratic <laughs> government with a socialist economy. Yeah, exactly. And you can have these other marriages and combinations uh-huh. and, like... One thing that, going back to what you're saying, though, about, like, commodification of human beings, like, when I was growing up in the South, (laughs) which explicitly, more so than the North even talks about or recognizes, which was also a slave economy. The North doesn't talk about it. The North doesn't talk about that. The South (laughs) talks about how it was a slave economy, even though it's still very white supremacist, Mm -hmm. you know. One of the things that I think has happened is the, the North won the political war, but the South won the culture war. Oh, yes. And what I have seen in my lifetime, especially with the collapse of Jim Crow and with um, the panic that white supremacists had in this country when Obama was president, is just the total dispersal and, and almost like a, excuse me, almost like a germ throughout the United States of these, this concept of commodify, like how it, we have, a, like certain people have a right to commodify others, which is, which is a Confederate idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and goes back also to the founding of the country, but was really held on to in the Confederacy, <laughs> um, has now become the maxim of the extreme right. Like, is that no, like the, the pure capitalism is slavery. The pure capitalism is commodifying people, mm-hmm. is that some people have a right to live off of others. And the step beyond that is God ordained it so. And that's how they justify it. And, like, it is implicit, if not explicit, in almost everything that comes out of Trump's mouth. Yeah, and the secular version of that is, well, I'm just the smartest one. Right. With the meritocracy, like someone like yeah. Peter Thiel, who believes that, oh, that, that, that like that they're the yeah. right. They're, they're not, not like smart. The, they're not smart. They're not. They're not. They're I mean, not. a lot of these tech barons, they have their money because they're in the right place at the right time. time. And yes, and have the capital and they have to the do capital something about it again. at that time. Yeah. And it's Absolutely. usually not capital that they earn. That they earn. Right. Right. I think all the time about how the West, our, our, our stories that we tell about the West are about these robber barons that make money in gold and silver and railroads and uh, steel and things like that. And San Francisco was built 
with money from Virginia, excuse me, from Virginia City uh-huh. that was taken out of the ground in Nevada. You know this. Ah, yeah. uh-huh. From the Comstock Load. The Comstock Load is named for a poor man who originally found the silver but could not get it out of the ground because he had no equipment and he had to sell his find. He died destitute of suicide in Montana and didn't get a single fucking penny. And ain't that how it is (laughs) in the United States? Because the people that came behind him took all of that out of the ground. Sorry, I just banged up the thing. I mean, it's just just like oil, right? I know. Like, it's uh, so many of our, what we consider to be our families of note, our billionaires, you know, our, our betters. Uh, a lot of it's just fucking sheer luck, right? Uh-huh. Like my family, not my family, but <laughs> someone's family, you know, they, they had a farm in Texas uh-huh. and they struck oil. Took no skill. Right. Didn't take they just anything. happened to they be, just in, happened the right, to be right. in the right place at the right time. Right. When the Industrial Revolution uh-huh. came around, oil became the lifeblood of the economy, right? Uh-huh. Just like gold and silver. And before then, it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. Oil was almost like a nuisance. It was. <laughs> because everyone was so Because you couldn't grow food in land. And they, and they, were, they were preoccupied with gold and silver. Right. And copper and precious metals and all that other right. stuff. And then, uh, and I see the tech... Uh, tech output, exactly I, I think, the same I think way. tech is just the gold rush. It's it absolutely a bunch, is. a bunch of people, the right place, the right time. They yep. all rush to the place. They they ruin everything, and then they they, they take benefit. Off. They get immense amounts of wealth. And what the thing too, I'm scared of now is that at least. Well, not at least. There was actually immense social pressure because of the socialist movement in the United States in the 1920s and 30s. The Carnegies and Vanderbilts of the world realized that maybe they shouldn't be so gaudy and flaunt their wealth because someone might kill them. Um, they started like founding institutes and universities and things like that. And like the current robber barons that we have, like Musk and oh, they're technolibertarians. Thiel, they're technolibertarians. They, they, they don't want to give back to the society that no, they profit off of. No. They just want to take and take and take and take. And, and they'll say as much. They will. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think okay, so so my take uh, it's kind of getting off the topic of healthcare. It's which okay. We're off the rails. We, we've, yeah. we've, okay. gone, we've gone down in the rabbit hole. <laughs> we've advanced past steam and now we're in automobile. Well, yeah. well it, it's it's off the topic of healthcare but it affects it, it our healthcare. Really, <laughs> and I think the reason we're complaining about like healthcare is just tied to so many goddamn things. Right. Yeah. And it's so similar to so many things that that's why we do this, but um, I'm I'm a firm believer that um, men of a certain age, let's say between the ages of like 15 and maybe 40, should not be allowed to read Ayn Rand. I think <laughs> oh, there should yeah. be a moratorium. Interesting. Because I was horrified to note that that kids read Ayn Rand in high school, and yeah. it's a perfect philosophy when you're a teenage boy mm-hmm. and you want to believe. You know, it's like y- y- when you have a mom upstairs will bring you a sandwich. Yeah. Well, I just think. That <laughs> idea of, uh, you know, when you're just, in the I basement think doing whatever so you want. it's so attractive to, yeah. to, to teenagers in particular, yeah. that sort of uh, ideology. Um, and if you're, if I have to, I have to tie something in here. If you're, okay. if you're a 45-year-old teenager, teenage boy at heart, <laughs> let me tell you the story of Steve Ditko, kids. <laughs> Steve Ditko, boy, did he love Ayn Rand. And, um, he, he, he became an objectivist and he stuck to his guns. And uh, Steve Ditko very recently died in abject poverty. Just like uh, his hero. <laughs> just like his hero. Um, you you don't... Objectivism only works for the people who already are, have, money. Already have the capital. Um, and Ditko lost intellectual property after intellectual property after intellectual property. Um, and I'm assuming, the people I'm speaking to directly know that Steve Ditko is one of the co-creators of Spider-Man. 
Um, yeah, it, it didn't go great for him. It's, um, that's, the, that's the objectivist story that doesn't show up in the official literature, folks. You can sign up, and it, it is, you are not signing on at the ground floor, y'all. It's just not happening. It's an MLM! It's an MLM! I just, you know, this idea that uh, money equals you know, either God ordained that you should have it or your own damn smarts should. Because I don't think there's that... Or, val- like, or value. That we value human beings based upon based their bank accounts yeah. and their net worth is, is gross. And it's I gross. Am, just like we were all terrified 20 years ago of reality television eventually yielding political uh, mm-hmm. figures, which it has. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about just Donald Trump. I'm right. talking about what's his name, the lumberjack from the real world ended up as a congressman somewhere. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's really terrifying, because these people, wow. they get because famous. Because they just have an audience. Yeah, they get so. famous, and then they think, you know, mm-hmm. Sarah Palin right. wouldn't have gone into politics if she was interesting enough. If there was a real house size of Anchorage, that would have been a, a natural place for her to be. <laughs> yeah. Wasilla, Wasilla. I don't think Wasilla, Anchorage yeah. will claim her. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. but I, I do think, um, and, and then having a reality TV star, a racist you know, game right. show host essentially, essentially become yeah. president. Right. You know, it's uh-huh. just like that's rewarding that behavior. And and sorry to the Yang Gang if you're hashtag Yang Gang. Number one, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> number two, uh, read more books. Uh, number three, UBI has tons of fucking problems, and I can show you how libertarians are going to use that to their advantage because. If you have UBI, you can justify cutting social services. So I don't think Completely. UBI is the is the way to go, especially a thousand dollars a month, which is actually mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. Uh, yeah. in, in the modern economy. So yeah, fuck the Yang Yang. <laughs> Sorry, um, I am terrified. <laughs> Any questions? Of, I'm terrified of our first tech bro president. Yeah. It's going to be a man, <laughs> and it's going to be someone who's just been soaked in this techno libertarian bullshit. Yeah. They think they're the smartest person in the room because they had one good idea once and got massively rewarded for it. Right. And you know, it's the Zuckerberg effect. It is. Number one, the guy is still being treated like he's 18 years old and doesn't know, which is nice to know that men remain boys, you know, for right. as long as we've decided. As though he's right? not responsible for all of this. This dude, I'm sorry, he's, he's responsible making. for a massacre in, in Myanmar. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay? 100%. He takes no responsibility for anything. He became a billionaire as a child. He's still a fucking child. Mm-hmm. And it's going to terrify me when these people decide... I have billions of dollars, and now I'm going to go into public service because why shouldn't I be president? I am the smartest right, person here. Their version of public service is not public service. No, it's CEO of everyone. It's, it's disrupting. CEO of everyone. It's disrupting. Right. You know, they see yeah. these systems that don't work, and they don't look at why they don't work. They look at how they can game them. Right. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with the fucking taxi system. Right. It was just like, right. how can we make it cheaper and shittier for these people who are working? Right. There's also economy? nothing wrong with subways. And There's Elon nothing Musk wrong with subways and public idiot. transportation. Yeah. And most of what Elon Musk has done with SpaceX is borrowed off of publicly developed technology yeah. that yeah. NASA but did. what's going to happen like, with a private healthcare company when these techno-libertarians start joining boards of United right. Healthcare? Um, they become congressmen who are making And policy. they all believe in eugenics. So oh, they, they do. They absolutely they all do. believe in eugenics. You, I, when I heard about blood boys, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. there are people who pay other people for right. blood transfusion. Oh, yeah. Peter Thiel does that. I was oh, just yeah. about to bring up, like, heaven forbid is Peter Thiel. He wants your blood, folks. And he, so this like- also touches to what happened at MIT and Jeffrey Epstein, because yes. he was paying, basically, healthcare researchers yeah. to do eugenics research. Oh, debunked eugenics research yes. that, like, we know is not real anymore. <laughs> and, and But because he had all the money, and it was mm-hmm. hot and sexy to say that you had a grant from this guy, or... 
I guess a grant if it comes from an individual. I don't know. You just had a, it's just a donation. A donation. Yeah. Then they were doing it, and they were wasting taxpayer money. They were wasting people's time. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's gross. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, to me. People talk about technology as kind of ushering in this, like, us versus robots, but I think what it really ushers in is sort of the people who have access to technology and the people who don't, Mm -hmm. and the people who have access then use it to lord themselves over the people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, they... They look at all these things. It's the same. It already is happening in our yeah, healthcare it's, system. It's, it's I mean, that's basically we have ways to cure different diseases, and the people who have access to it get to have it, and the people who don't well, get also, to be the fodder for research. It's also so they yielding, can make cures for the rich people. It's yielding, in my opinion, some very dangerous things that I think we'll only see. I don't think we're seeing the effects now, but I, because it's kind of nascent, but I think we're going to see it. Is this whole teledoctor thing, like all this mm-hmm. app-based mm-hmm. healthcare delivery, terrifies me? Yeah, because. Unless it's a cold or maybe you can, like, show a rash or something, like, you don't know if that person is actually licensed to practice medicine. It could be a doctor moonlighting. Somebody who's been censured by the board Mm -hmm. is making extra money by telling you you have a cold, go get some antibiotics Uh or whatever advice they give. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, being able to talk to a doctor right away about something is definitely a benefit. But what I'm afraid of is, you know, these tech people going into healthcare policy. Like, say Andrew Yang becomes... Uh, congressman in Northern California hands up on Health and Human Services Committee, and he decides technology. We can solve things with technology, mm-hmm. and introduces these things that there's no backup for them. You know, medicine needs research. It right. needs peer review. Mm-hmm. It needs. It, it's a science, and and the idea that a guy with no background right. in that could go in and say and accurately diagnose the problem with the system, and then come up with a something for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just insane to me. It's like, insane. I wouldn't trust my mechanic to fix my computer. Um, well, the optimist in me hopes that, like, we're not going to be allowing tech guys to do that anymore, partially because we've seen with education that, like, all of their so-called techni- technology solutions yeah. <laughs> and charter school privatization of schools doesn't... They, mm-hmm. We have enough research now that it yeah. doesn't re- yield better outcomes. Yeah. Nobody cared, though. It was, nope, just, yeah. a, it was just a way to justify it was, segregation. It was just a way to... And, and also to grift, to do yeah. gr- to get money from the government. Well, yeah. Into yeah. private people's pocketbooks. Yeah. I mean, but. that's Betsy DeVos's entire reason for being. The reason yeah. she wanted education, because you think that's a weird place for a, a billionaire... Um, wife of a, oh, yeah. a grifter to go, right? Yeah. Well, one grifter family married into a richer grifter right. family, mm-hmm. but she, her whole... She's terrifying. She's yeah. terrifying. I, 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 I totally agree. I've been following the DeVosses for a very long time, uh, probably too long a time for someone who's never lived in Michigan. <laughs> but I have very, very good friends in Michigan who were telling me about this stuff back 10, 15 years ago. Um, she wants to destroy the educational state. Yeah. She wants all kids who can pay to go into religious schools, kids who can't pay become cannon fodder, mm-hmm. or they go back to the mines. Right. And people's, people are like, oh, you're, you're overreacting. I'm like, she literally gives money to nonprofits that are dedicated to destroying child labor laws. Mm-hmm. This is her plan. This woman tested all of her policies mm-hmm. in Michigan. She de- destroyed the Detroit public school system, mm-hmm. which is mostly African-American students. Mm-hmm. She's a Calvinist. Yeah. Who had, and her brother's even a bigger fucking psychopath, right. Eric Prince. Yeah. She decides she's going to take this flank and destroy education. He's going to privatize the fucking privatize military. Privatize the military. Which she's basically accomplished at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that Saudi Arabia is basically paying us to, you know, fuck things up, he, he's getting to his To have our soldiers, yeah. Um, you know, I just think... That's where we're headed 
we're, we're going to get some oligarch like that. Yeah. Uh, totally in charge of our healthcare I'm policy. Just, I'm just going to plug in there. We don't do citations, but I did write an article about Betsy DeVos. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Called Betsy DeVos Doesn't Believe in Democracy. Well, that's absolutely true. It's in true. Scalawag <laughs> Magazine. You can look it up. Okay. Uh, that actually does have lots of, have lots of citations in it about why she sucks so I, much. Uh, I rarely run into people, especially out here, who know anything about Betsy DeVos, or they certainly didn't before she became the, the Secretary right. of Education. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, provincialism, yeah. you know, sort of in that. Like, I mean, that's something that, that we have been surprised by moving from city to city in the United States, is that every city believes that the way they experience the United States is how the whole country is. And, it's real America. And, <laughs> and yet, like, no place is how the whole country is. Right. Like, we're, we're, we're such a diverse... And that was supposed to be by design. Right, especially right. by design. I mean, like, we're such a diverse country. The, the, even things like, in Savannah, if you're drinking iced tea at the end of your meal, they will bring you another glass of iced tea and let you take it with you to go. To go. That's just a norm down there. And, and to people in Savannah, they think that's how the world is, you know? <laughs> in New York City, the provincialism was, like, about laws and certain rights and access to services. And, like, when they would go to other places, like, I can't believe I can't just go get my bacon, egg, and cheese in the morning at a mm-hmm. bodega because there's no bodegas outside of New York City. You know, like, things like that. I mean, those are, like, really tiny examples, but, like, it extends to in my own coworkers when I told them that like we pay into in California we pay into short term long term disability in our paychecks every month to the state so that uh-huh. something happens to us you get some compensation and I told them I was like well I've never had that before in any state and they were like are you kidding me what would happen to you I was like you just are poor like if something happens to you you're fucked you just, <laughs> like, die. You just die like that's and the fact that those life and death services are not even standardized across the United uh-huh. States yeah it's incredible well I mean isn't that what we're really I mean isn't that the fundamental question here is that uh, do you deserve to live? Does everyone in the United States <laughs> have a right to life once they're out of the womb? <sighs> <sighs> and to people who are Calvinists, they absolutely don't believe that no, they, no, do. No, they do. And they believe that the minute that you get blamed for a crime, not necessarily even convicted of one, that you don't, that you forfeit that right. Um, and which can get back into the commodification of people because we still have a slave state. It's just we use our prisoners now instead of right, right, um, free people. And and everybody pay attention to how many people are becoming prisoners under that system. Right. It's really great that we have criminalized crossing the border because it means we have a much cheaper labor in the fields to pick our strawberries. Uh, we use prison and fight labor. our and fight our wildfires in California. Uh, see, we use prison labor to right, yeah, and then and then and then they can't be a firefighter. Because if you're a felon, you aren't allowed to get a firefighting job. It's just absolutely absurd. Yeah, I, I think if if you're coming at me with an argument as Republicans often do, that there's some kind of deserving of of health care. I, there's no argument there because you're making you're making a very you're, you're drawing the a very whole premise is wrong yeah the whole premise is wrong it's like yeah. I mean, what if somebody takes advantage of the system it's like I don't know how you it, take advantage of the system other than maybe I don't know drug fraud or something yeah you like, could do like know. drug fraud but people already do that within the private I'm like, system I'm like are you yeah. trying to say that you don't want to put in for universal health care because you're afraid that somebody might go to the ER who wasn't sick like what is your I don't know what 
I don't know what the deal is other than mm-hmm. you would actually rather people die than be able to go get healthcare. Right. I just I don't fundamentally I don't understand the mindset of somebody like that. Because my view is like take welfare instance. The the instance of fraud in welfare is actually quite low. Mm-hmm. And and studies have shown that the more complex the system is, the more likely it is that fraudsters will abuse it because they're the only mm-hmm. ones willing to put in the work. Whereas, right. whereas people who actually need it get frustrated, right? And then they kind of just drop out stop. of the process. You know, you're talking right. about Medicaid. You know, all those barriers are put to stop fraud, and it mm-hmm. ends up stopping people who really need the care from doing it. Whereas the people who don't really need it and they're defrauding whatever the system is, can, they'll just game it because that's all they do with their day. But it's such a small percentage of people. It's like, I'm not saying fuck the welfare state because a percentage of, a per, you know, a tenth of a percent of might be fraud. Right. Because it means that other people are getting what they need. And I'm sorry, if you think people are living high on the hog off of any of our welfare, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sorry, you've never been to America, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you're a Russian troll, like, you, you don't... Or you, you're a person who already gets disability and welfare right? checks, <laughs> right. who's ashamed of it because you've been taught to be ashamed of right. it. Right, right. And there's nothing fucking wrong with that. There's also this weird personal responsibility argument, it's like, if you're in failing health, it's somehow your fault. And that's the other part right. of this. It's like, I've heard this from great minds like Bill Maher you know like you know he takes half of a good point and turns it into something terrible which is his brand I've been watching Mm -hmm. the guy for like 30 years now and his argument is that you know we have a fatness epidemic and that means we have an epidemic of all these other things and I'm like that's such a complex issue but what you're fundamentally saying is that you think people make choices to be healthy or not healthy which it's way more complex than that. Uh-huh. It is way right, more complex. Especially when you have that. an environment where our like our groundwater I just read today is full of uh, firefighting foam that has seeped into the groundwater. I am, <laughs> like, I am, I am, just, and it will cause liver cancer. And I'm like, oh, I have a real choice in that. The worst thing about working in you environmental know. policy, especially in urban areas, is that you stop drinking tap water. <laughs> you refuse to go <laughs> into public pools and or bodies of water. Oh, wow. Uh, just the knowledge. Know too much. I know too much. It's one of yeah. those things where ignorance, I think, is bliss, and it can also lead to you know complications down the line. Um, but our public water system is in decay. Yeah, it's not just Flint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it is happening in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, I also, I think there was an article years. And ago. we have the money to fix it. We have it's the money. Just yeah, not the being money to fix it. done. <laughs> it's amazing to me how fucking mustache twirlingly evil the Michigan state people were in in this flint crisis they literally said oh it's not that bad right (laughs) like who goes oh yeah we'll just switch it over to this dirtier water it'll be fine they literally made the decision to kill an entire city that was already on its way out and there was no justification for it yeah they created a public health crisis with people who can't afford to get treatment yes and can't afford to move and they assumed couldn't afford to fight back. To fight back. Yeah. yeah. And then people somehow blame the residents of Flint for their... Um, for their municipal problems. For their municipal yeah. problems that were put in place by a state-appointed emergency manager right. from, I think, Snyder had just been elected. I think uh, so. They had just switched from Granholm, who was a wonderful governor. Uh, Snyder came in on the tea, kind of Tea Party wave-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it also speaks to your point about the spread of, of Southern Highland culture, uh-huh. which is where everything, you know, Andrew Jackson, we're still dealing with his legacy. Yeah. It is fucking wild to be in central Michigan and see Confederate flag. And upstate New York. We and Oregon. And Oregon. And, like, all over mm-hmm. the rural United States now, mm-hmm. it, the Confederate flags have proliferated. And 
they're certainly not about heritage in those places. And the heritage that they're about in the South is about maintaining the slavery of black people. Yeah. So that should be, that should be clear. And there was a, um, I don't, I don't know if you watch Saturday Night Live. I still watch it because I am a, I'm technically a Gen Xer. Oh. (laughs) Um, I remember Eddie Murphy, I'm watching Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live Mm -hmm. um, when I was little. Uh, they did a skit, and it was like, come to our apple farm and pick apples. And Kate McKinnon, she goes, located in the part of your state with the Confederate flags. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that could be any state in the country now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Maine to California. Yeah. I just, that's the spread of Southern honor culture, uh, Highland culture. And it's, um, and it's the reason that people are willing to be commodified in their health care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is because they believe that that should be an option on the table. And they're yes. afraid that if they take it away for themselves, then they can't do it to others. And so they put up with it so that they can hopefully commodify someone else. Yeah. All the way down. I love the uh, burning my own house down despite the Romans yeah. Highland mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. Uh, that's what they did. Yeah, and that's, and that, that's, that's what cultural it is. attitude. I seriously think that uh, we're going to reach a point where gonna, somebody literally set their house on fire to, to own the libs. Yeah. And they end up owning themselves. Yeah. And they're perfectly happy with that. And I, I, that explains how our healthcare system, it explains Trump, um, unfortunately. Um, it explains why we're not going to get President Elizabeth Warren, uh, even though I'm going to beat that drum until uh, November 2020. Um, yeah, it's, it's all traced back to that. It's rough. Yeah. And it's like the, the, the irony here, I think, is that being healthy makes it easier to be independent. It makes it easier to be a person who can move through the world as though you don't depend on things in society when you are not sick. Can I pose a question to everybody? (laughs) Sure. If health insurance was not... If you had universal coverage for health care your entire life, how different do you think your life would be? Where do you think you'd be right now? Oh, my God. I would definitely have children already. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. Yeah. I mean, I obviously wouldn't have worked some of the jobs that I've worked, but I think that's true of everybody who has to live in the healthcare mm-hmm. um, state the way it is right now. I think a lot of people will, you mentioned it earlier, um, it's used as a cudgel. Like, people will take jobs and will submit to treatment on jobs that they wouldn't otherwise put up with because the other option is to put yourself in peril. Yeah. 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 I think I would have taken more chances with my career, but mm-hmm. I was already on a tightrope mm-hmm. um, with not having any uh, family help getting through college and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The idea of going without healthcare, which I did for 10 years, because I, I was too. in that donut hole when I was 18 to when the ACA was implemented was something like 11 years. Yeah. Uh, I never had enough employment to, to get Same. health insurance. Same. Mm-hmm. Um, Same and I, I honestly think that my uh, intention to become a screenwriter or involved in, in Hollywood in some way and um, writing, I, I just... I was like, I, I'm not going to be able to get a job that can pay for health care. Right. I was sick of avoiding things because I was afraid of getting hurt. I mean, I work with mm-hmm. television and movie writers every day, and one of the number one calls we get is, can you send me my signed contract so I can send it to the union, the WGA, so I can get my health care coverage? Yeah. Because otherwise they don't have it. Yeah. It's and like, it is really hard if you don't have family resources right. uh, to get yourself through the lean phase Mm -hmm. of becoming part of the Hollywood machine, Mm -hmm. which I don't know, maybe, 
I ended up in an entirely different kind of machine that poisoned my brain in a different way. <laughs> uh, but I feel like it made me a better citizen, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas going into Hollywood would have uh, either made me find other employment or at least given a shot. Uh, with my creativity, which I would say it's almost impossible if you don't start out with support. Yes, uh-huh. yeah, to do it. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's why I took the chance that I did, which is I'm I have to put my health first. And that's, yeah, there's so many things I didn't do because of that, which is why I asked the question for you guys. But the kids thing, I never even thought of. Yeah, yeah. Without hesitation, I know that I would have had a kid sooner. Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many things financially. And just healthcare-wise, that I had to cover before I could even think about doing that. And it blows my mind that we have so many articles saying that, like, millennials aren't having children, almost like we're trying to spite our parents. <laughs> and it's like, I was going to say, you're not parents, that's why you don't have grandchildren. And it's, yeah. and it's more like, I... the same reason we haven't bought your house. <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm, like, deeply in debt for my education. I'm deeply in debt from, like, freelancing for three years in a very expensive city. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't have any medical debt currently, because when I didn't have healthcare, I was able to go to Planned Parenthood for like my absolute basic essentials and urgent care, which I paid out of pocket every single time. Um, also, I just fucking lived with some chronic illnesses and <laughs> didn't treat them until they got worse until I almost died. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then thankfully by the time that happened, I did have healthcare so I could get treatment, but like... Yeah, it's it's bullshit, and it, and I and I can't believe that people put up with it. And I I really um, I really hope that in this election, a lot of people would be one issue voters because this one affects everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the healthcare debate is insane. Uh, the way it's being presented, <laughs> I really do. I, I don't think they're talking about the actual problems, which is why I'm happy yeah. to be on the podcast talking about the actual <laughs> problems. Cool, and not little uh, you know. Little ancillary, little ancillary remarks. remarks and little little solutions that won't get us so, to where we need to be. So maybe we have moved the Everton window tonight. Um, on that note, shall we just call it? Yeah. I mean, I have nothing to add. Um, I'm very grateful to have been mostly a fly on the wall for this episode. <laughs> because, uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of the other side of the table. So, yeah, nothing from me. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Keep your complaints long or short, whatever you want. Complaining's great. Bye. (laughs) And that's the end of part one. Tune in next week, where we continue to talk about the commodification of people since our nation's founding.